what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Welcome to the Entrepreneurial Exchange on the Mesh Podcast Network, a monthly conversation about startups and small business with ideas, tools, and advice to operate your business more effectively. On today's show, first there were crowds, then there was crowdfunding, and now there is crowdsourcing. We're going to touch on a quick article to get you thinking about how you can use the power of the internet to pump up your creative side and tap into the people that are out there. We'll be joined by guest Ivy LeClaire, who is co-founder of The Motivational Millennial, a group dedicated to assisting millennials reach their goals through coaching, training, and podcasting. And we'll talk about millennials and entrepreneurship. Hopefully, Ivy will be able to answer the question, how soon will these millennials be coming for my job? Finally, we'll end up with our Small Business of the Month feature, where we'll highlight some interesting businesses that you should be checking out. Greetings. My name is Jeff Newville. I'm director of the Small Business Center at Catawba Valley Community College in Hickory, North Carolina. I'm joined by my co-host, Gary Muller. Gary is the dean of the School of Business, Industry, and Technology at Catawba Valley Community College. Gary, welcome to March Madness. How are you doing? I'm excited about March Madness, although my team didn't do as well as your team. I see you're wearing your Carolina t-shirt, sweatshirt, and I know you're excited about tonight. And just to just to be clear, because there are actually two Carolinas still playing oh, in the NCAA me. basketball tournament, you know, uh, my team is North Carolina, who is will be playing this evening. But by the time you listen to this podcast, it is certainly conceivable that my team will not be playing any longer. Uh, and the school where my daughter goes yes. to college, the University of South Carolina, will also be playing this evening after they they beat that. That's uh, exciting for your family. School. I just yeah. thought about that. Yeah. That's so right. so it's a it's a big night uh, at it's my big house. Night at your house. That's right. We'll be we'll be watching. We'll be pulling for you since we'll be sitting in the bleachers after last week. Yes. Well, and and your team Wake Forest made the NCAA tournament, and and we're excited the, at, about that. At the beginning of the season, I don't think that was no, where they thought they would be. But we're very proud that they got to play. But we we, we digress, and and I want to. Uh, so so uh, we're very fortunate today to uh, have a guest with us uh, that uh, is calling in from Washington State. But uh, we've got Ivy LeClaire with us, and Ivy is a uh, personal transformation coach. Uh, She is uh, co-host of the Motivational Millennial Podcast, and she is co-founder of a company called uh, Motivational Millennial in Berkeley, California, uh, where she and her business partner work with millennials to help them uh, pursue their goals and dreams and uh, and become empowered. So, Ivy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. And and you know from from the shameless plug division, actually, Ivy and her business partner uh, Blake Brandes will be visiting uh, beautiful Hickory, North Carolina, and our college, Catawba Valley Community College, on Thursday, April 6, where they're going to be working with uh, students uh, from our college as well as from local high schools to 
introduce them to entrepreneurship and, and help them do some planning to achieve some of their goals. So we are looking forward to having you visit with us in a few weeks, Ivy. Yes, we, our students are very, very excited about your visit. Oh, that's great. We're excited, too. Well, before we get into Motivational Millennial and, and working with millennials, I, I came across an article that caught my attention in Entrepreneur Magazine. Uh, it was written by uh, uh, Alexandra Zissou, and it talked about a startup called Neuro Coffee and how they were using crowdsourcing to develop their logo using a company called 99designs. Uh, so they went out and crowdsourced their logo, and it just it seemed like a very neat concept where they, they paid a fee to generate a contest or a competition for designers to develop different logos. And the one that they chose, I think, got $1,500, $1,600. But but basically, it was a way that they could pay a set price to develop several different logos and have an opportunity to provide some feedback and develop a logo that worked for them. And I was really struck by the opportunities out there for crowdsourcing and, and thinking through, well, what type of services make sense for crowdsourcing? What's you know? Are there some downsides to crowdsourcing? And I, I don't know, Gary, if you you had any thoughts on that or, or uh, you know, the types of services out there. I thought this was interesting. Like say, well, think about uh, working from the financial side. But I thought this was a very uh, clever. Of course, I was looking at the different logos and the different ways that they approach this uh, uh, project, but. And it's like everything else, you know, things start one way and it broadens to the different opportunities that are out there. Yeah, and and, um, and Ivy, I don't know if you've been involved in crowdsourcing or crowdfunding or, or seen different services out there that uh, uh, might make sense to crowdsource and, and how that might have played in with your business, any? Well, we do have experience with crowdfunding um, through Kickstarter, we've we've did a campaign for um, the newest hip hop album for for schools that Blake is working on. So we did do that, um, and also I, I, when I was thinking about other sources of crowdsourcing, um, we are actually a part of a community of podcasters called Podcasters Paradise, and so I think. You can also really tap into communities that are pursuing something similar to you. And so what we would do when we created our logo, we went into a Facebook group that's exclusively exclusively for these community members. And we put, you know, a couple of different options and we said, what do you guys think? And so it's just a great way to get feedback from lots of different folks. And so that's that's kind of our experience with it. Well, yeah, it's sort of when I saw the article, and it's easy to go down the rabbit hole of the internet and and wander into different things. And and actually, one of you know, one of the interesting things that I saw in terms of crowdsourcing is sort of what you're saying, Ivy, is is really getting input from your customers or or potential customers, and mm-hmm. and you run into examples where really large companies are doing it, like McDonald. I, I saw one where McDonald's had. Uh, ask for input on uh, different ways to do the Big Mac or different hamburgers and Lay's potato chips was asking for different flavors that 
uh, their customers might like them to consider. So, so I, you know, I think one real benefit is is it's a way to uh, tap into your customer base and engage them. So that's yeah. the, that's that's one way to do it, and and also different services that I found that might be out there that people could consider. You know, web development, advertising, access to stock photos, call centers. You know, I, I guess as I was thinking about it, you know, some of the downside, you know, there, there are certain things that I guess you want to control within your company. You know, I, I guess it might make me nervous as a, if I, I, I think I would want a relationship with my bookkeeper or my accountant, you know, and and have more of a, a relationship as opposed to a contracted project. But yeah, you know, there, there are some pros and cons out there. Uh, yeah, I think you're you're picking up additional resources and input that. Uh, again, I wouldn't have thought about that until we started a different thing. It makes sense, but lots of different ways to uh, get some input as well as some support for the new business. I will tell you, I just I was hacked this uh, week. You were hacked this week? On my email. Oh, yeah? Whoa. Yeah. yeah. So maybe it hit home when you just said, you know, being a little bit more careful and controlled. You never think it's going to happen to you, or at least I didn't. To uh, Wednesday night. Well, you know, I, I told you not to respond to that Nigerian prince that uh, I uh, wanted to help you. But he said I was going to be a millionaire uh, next week. And I believed him. Uh, you're, you're so naive, Gary. I've been telling you that. I've been telling you that over and over. Anyway, uh, anyway, just some interesting food for thought out there. You know, when you're getting up and running, managing your expenses is such a critical thing to be doing. And crowdsourcing might offer some ways that you can avoid taking on ongoing fixed expenses and and get things done more cost effectively so so some thoughts out there to pursue it but uh, we really want to spend some time talking with ivy today about uh, uh, her company motivational millennial and and uh, uh, entrepreneurship in today's millennials. So, so Ivy, why don't you why don't you tell uh, us and our listeners a little bit about uh, motivational millennial and uh, how you and your business partner got things started? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, we have a a relevant origin story to the work that we're doing. A few years ago, uh, Blake and I started to build a motivational speaking brand that's Blake's motivational speaking brand. We still operate that. But, you know, when we had, when we started that goal and we started that business, we really had huge <laughs> goals and huge expectations for how quickly success would come. And we worked really hard for like a whole year. And then we're like, wow, we've worked so hard for a year. Why are we not extremely rich and famous and successful right now? Um, and it was just, we took some time to really look at how are we feeling about this, this process and what our expectations are like. And I remember having this realization that when I was young, I was told that I could do anything. I could be anything. And I'm like, what, what's going on here? And I think that the reason that it's a little, um, there's some dissonance there because the assumption when you're told you can do and be anything is that it's going to be easy like to mm-hmm. do and be that thing. Like you just got to easy want and it. it's going to happen right away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I thought to myself like, we cannot be the only people of our generation who received that messaging and may be getting discouraged 
on their path and, and, to and, fulfilling and, whatever dream they want. And just to clarify, you know, I, I, you and Blake are millennials. And, yes. And 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 check me on this. I, millennials are generally people that were born in the early 1980s ish. Yes. And yeah, up, it, up until 2000 ish, 2004 ish, something like that. Yeah, it, it, the literature varies, but we say 1980 to 2000, just kind of like rounded out. Which would make people easy. anywhere from 17 to 37 ish at the, in in today in today's language. Yes. I yes. Know. I was good at math. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, and so that really spurred the idea for the podcast. Because we wanted to do a couple things with the podcast. We wanted to highlight millennials who are living on purpose, who um, have, have reached a certain level of, of success as they define it, and um, can be great role models, not only for other millennials, but also just to, to help sort of dispel some of the negative myths. And not all of them are myths, but negative perceptions of millennials. Um, and then, you know, also to, like I said, really support um, millennials and showing a little bit more about the reality of, of challenges, both internal and external, that are going to come up when you start moving toward a life that you really care about or building a business or however that shapes up and looks. And, and so, so when you're working with millennials, tell us a little bit about uh, you, you mentioned a podcast, you know, what, how do you go about working with millennials? So we have a few ways we do that. We, um, we work with millennials through coaching, as you mentioned, do personal transformation coaching, which is really great because it's, I get to work one-on-one with people who are going through change or transformation or are wanting to shift their career, do something totally different, um, which is really wonderful and high touch. And then we do workshops that vary. Our newest workshop, our newest program is, you know, we're we're coming to visit you and and deliver that. But it's really supporting future entrepreneurs or current entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, freelancers, folks who are really wanting to go and create a business and supporting the personal development side of what that business and developing a business is like. That's it's something that doesn't come up a whole lot <laughs> in our culture. And so it's really to help provide some perspective around the, the reality of, of what that process is like. So, so I, you know, I read different things, and you know, one, I guess one of the statistics that is, is a little concerning is that there are fewer people starting businesses, and I'm not just speaking of millennials, just in general these days, and maybe that's because the economy's good and uh, there are more job opportunities out there, or, or it could be because there's a less of a, an entrepreneurial interest, I'm not sure. But I also read a statistic somewhere that, uh, you know, there are a lot of millennials who, uh, when asked, say that they would like to start a business or own a business someday, but actually uh, not many are actually self-employed or have started a business. So is that, is that sort of the perspective that, that you see out there, that there's a, there's a great interest uh, from millennials in, in being entrepreneurs or being business owners? Yeah, I definitely see that. And I think the interest comes from this 
desire, a few desires. One is to have work that's really meaningful. That's, that's something that's a common value among millennials is that they, they really want their work to be meaningful and they care more about that than they do about status or um, their paycheck. But I also think it's, it's a level of, of freedom or imagined freedom <laughs> in some ways around um, running your business and, and being able to kind of create a life that you want with that freedom. So I definitely think that there's some interest there in um, being able to have the impact that you want and then also have a little bit more control over your lifestyle. We talked about the age group. Uh, that's a pretty wide range. What age group do you work uh, with the most, or is that just spread across the 20 years or plus? Yeah, it is. That is a pretty big difference. Um, we usually work with people who are uh, uh, mid to late 20s mm-hmm. and early 30s. I mean, a lot of people that we have on the podcast, I mean, some, though, will amaze you. I mean, people who are, like, 20 years old and millionaires, it's, like, so crazy. Um, But then you'll have oftentimes people who are are in their early 30s or late 20s, and I think part of that is just a timing thing, right? Because it takes takes time in reality to to build your craft and to build your business. And so um, a lot of the folks who are in that stage of life are, are a little older. Very good. So, so you know, as as millennials move into the workplace, uh, you know, typically, what sort of challenges do they face, or or what sort of concerns do you hear from them that you you work with them? You you talked about the desire for meaningful work. Are there other things that uh, come up uh, that create challenges for millennials as they as they get into the workplace? Yeah, I definitely think that millennials have a a certain like we talked about this a little bit a little bit ago have a a set of of high expectations um and that's not a bad thing i think on the flip side of having high expectations of you know coming into a place of work and you know the the expectation that you're going to enjoy it the expectation that you're going to be heard and and validated and that you're going to be a part of a team. I mean, (laughs) these are not necessarily bad expectations to have, but I think um, sometimes there's there's some really high expectations that can happen. I mean, let's let's be honest. I mean, we've we've heard, at least I have heard in this work, and you you all may have heard in this work, some some horror stories about about millennials who like they start working somewhere and they four months later are wanting a company car and like a new you know and that can be but I would not say that that's that's the majority of people that are out there I think that really what you're seeing is um, a group of people who really want to be involved they want to understand why they're doing the work and so I think for millennials coming into the workplace knowing that it, it it may take some time or it's going to take some time to to work up the ladder it's like you you're you you have to balance your own internal expectations with the expectations of your team and of your managers if that makes sense i i i th- I, I think that that makes a lot of sense and and 
you know, uh, you know, spoiler alert, Gary and I are not millennials. <laughs> but, and I, I have children that are. Yeah, we do. And, uh, you know, I, I think from an expectation perspective, you know, um, I, you know, I, I guess as I was coming up, it was more an issue of those those were the those expectations that you mentioned that the millennials have in terms of understanding why they're doing things and being part of a team and doing meaningful work were things that I wanted, but I'm not sure I always expected them. You know, you know, you, right. you, you, I agree. You, you sort of hoped that you could find a working environment that provided uh, that sort of culture, but you also understood that it was called work for a reason and mm-hmm. uh, and that it might not work out like that. So yeah, now as you were talking, a- I, go ahead. I'm sorry, Ivy. Go ahead. Uh, um, I was just going to say that's such a great distinction that you made because – I think sometimes in this intergenerational dialogue, it can be framed that millennials, like that it's unique only to millennials that they want to care about their work. And that's not, that's not true. I mean, I think humans want to have meaningful work and have meaningful life. But I think, yeah, the distinction is that millennials sort of have an expectation of it. I think as you were talking about the sitcoms with parents not understanding their children and vice versa, and Again, I didn't think that would happen to me, but it, I certainly questioned some of my kids' decisions, and it's different than the yeah. way I came up. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, you're sort of looking at it from from the different perspective. I, I know that um, at least in our area, employees, uh, excuse me, employers struggle to find people that uh, they want to hire and and finding the right people and. Do you have, Ivy, do you have any thoughts on as they're hiring and working with millennials, how they can create a work environment that uh, uh, will allow millennials to be successful and uh, ultimately allow their companies to uh, to thrive? Are there certain are there certain things that managers, employers should be doing to to make sure that uh they're getting uh, the most out of their employees when they're millennials. Yeah, absolutely. I think from a more general sense, I, I think having a perspective, I think it's about perspective in some ways. Because the thing is, is you know, as you mentioned, Gary, it's like it's a cultural difference. Um, and, and when we look at that as the reality, it becomes a little easier to... I don't know, depersonalize some of the some of the specific differences, um, and so I always encourage people to just really stay open-minded about the cultural differences and the cultural, I guess, expectations um, that millennials <laughs> display, um, but also to seek to understand some of their common values and how they those show up at work, and. And I do want to make a, a distinction and, and, a, and a caveat here because what I'm not saying at all is that it, you should accept, you know, behavior that is, you know, objectively inappropriate or insubordination or something. Again, these you know, horror stories are coming to mind. That's not at all. But I, I definitely think when you're wanting to cultivate millennial leaders, it's the things that are driving them are going to be different. And so it's really understanding what those values are and the ways that they're being driven 
I think so that's that important can. because you yeah. said you don't get frustrated. I get frustrated sometimes. I used to. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, cause it feels so personal. I mean, yes. our values are really important to us. And so it's like, you have a totally different set of values and you're like, why? You know? yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, like, it's not a good or bad. They're just different. Right. Absolutely. And I think that can be really helpful. I mean, a, a couple of, of values come to mind just to list a couple are the, like I mentioned, the meaningful work versus, versus the paycheck. Um, the, there's collaboration versus competition. So millennials tend to be more motivated when they're working in teams than they are by pitting them against each other. Um, And then also a a work-life integration piece, which I I did want to talk a little bit about that because I think it's a really good, um, there's a good piece of advice around that. But but also one other thing that I I just remembered to to mention is um, that millennials really enjoy consistent feedback on what they're doing <laughs> because because you know we sort of like grew up with like here's a star for your hard work you know like mm-hmm. sort of externally driven a lot um and so I mean and I, I love this because I have I have I had a manager um when I was going through school I was working in a retail store and I had a manager and I was just like so how did this go? What are your thoughts and feedback on this? And she's just like, you know, I just don't really believe. And she's like a boomer age. And she's like, I don't really believe in needing to go, you know, good job. She's like, your paycheck <laughs> tells me that I think you did a good job because you're still working here, you know. Um, and that's just a cultural difference. And, and millennials can be really fueled and more invested when they know that they're doing a good job, like as they're doing it. So when you say consistent feedback, Ivy, do you mean – uh, feedback on a regular basis or, or, you know, uh, you know, because yes. some, sometimes feedback might be, Hey, you didn't do as good a job on this. Here's what right. I would like to see going forward. And, you know, and, and don't particularly want to crush anybody, but we also want to keep it, uh, uh, keep it real. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, regular feedback. Regular yeah, feedback. Okay. Yeah. And so, then, well, I did want to mention that this other little piece piece of advice, which I think is an, an interesting shift, is um, is to focus on the outcome of the work rather than the process of the work. Because um, you know, you know, when you guys are going to work or collect, you know, consistently, you go to work and it's like I am at work and I am not able to make personal phone calls or like, you know, be dealing with personal stuff right now. But millennials are so integrated, right? Like they can work when they're out hanging out with their friends because they can look at their email on their phone. And when you're at work, you can be making posts about a project you're working on or other things. And so there's a different style of work. And I think if there's too much focus on the process, um, it can be a little bit frustrating because it looks different. Than, than the process of other generations. And so um, as long as they are getting the work to you on time and doing well and, and may even be doing better, I think focusing on that would probably reduce a lot of like frustration and, and differences in that sense. I think it's a really good point because, like I said, we're used to working the way we do and uh, we need to be, no matter who it is, the way they yeah. do it, I may mean not the way I want to do it or the way I would do it, but as long as the outcome is good or they're getting their work done successfully, then uh, we should be patient enough to watch to see how that comes out as opposed to saying, hey, I don't like the way you're getting there. 
So, so I mean, I've got a, a, a question in that uh, it sounds like you grew up in the Midwest, and mm-hmm. I know that your business partner, Blake, grew up on the East Coast, and you guys are now located uh, out on the West Coast, but you, it sounds like you do a lot of traveling. But uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious, when you talk to groups, do you, do you see geographic differences in, in how they approach things, or, or you know, from a millennial perspective, are these, uh, these uh, uh, values and, and things fairly common amongst all the groups? Well, I think, you know, with any sort of, it's hard to paint anything with a huge broad brush, you know, because everybody's individuals. But, you know, as you ask that question, the first thing that comes to mind for me, I would say is, is kind of, is like a work life. I I would say that my peers that are, or people that are my age, who are still living in the Midwest are more likely to have uh, to be married and to have children um, than, than folks that I know who are in the, the Bay Area that are the same age. Mm-hmm. So that, that makes, you know, and, and that is going to affect people's, people's work life and people's life perspective and, and their values as well, right? Because becoming a parent is a totally life-shifting experience. So um, that was the first thing that came to mind for me in terms of differences that I've seen regionally among millennials and that could potentially be affecting their values. Mm-hmm. So, so now when you, when you come into a, a, a school, do programs, you know, how do you, what sort of things do you guys do to connect with the students? Sometimes I imagine you're, you're dealing with large groups of kids. You know, how do you, how do you build uh, rapport with them? Well, I think first and foremost, being authentic um, and being being straightforward because this this culture is so used to. I mean, with social media, especially the younger the younger folks and cohort and the millennial. I mean, you you share a lot online all the time. I mean, oftentimes it can be a manicured, but people are just really used to. Um, authenticity and that's a much more effective way to connect with millennials and i mean sell to millennials to be to be honest um by by being honest with them so so we just make sure that our our tone and that what we're sharing is is genuine sounds good and you know you how how long ago was it that you guys started uh, your business motivational millennial So we incorporated officially a little over a year ago. Um, and, and we've been doing motivational speaking in schools for three years. And, and as you guys have gotten started, are there any uh, lessons from your startup that, uh, that, that you can share that would be helpful to our listeners? Yeah, Absolutely. And, and again, you know, this perspective, because we're, we're personal development professionals, so the lens is, is often on the, the internal environment for us. And so I would say one of the biggest things that I did not anticipate is how much, first of all, when you have a really big dream or thing that, that you, that's bigger than you, you have to grow over time to to meet that big dream. You know, you have to you have to put yourself out there, do things that will that will change you and grow you over time. And 
So there's a, there's a transition that's happening internally around your identity as you become a business owner. You know, some folks are, are really naturally oriented toward being a business owner and they are just, you know, are, have already have an, an identity around, um, some of those, you know, exceedingly helpful entrepreneurial attributes like working, you know, many, many hours a day or just being able to put yourself out there and talk to, to strangers all the time. But not everyone who's starting a business has those naturally. But eventually you've got to get to a point where you feel comfortable talking about what you're wanting to sell to people so that you can continue the business, you know. So and that can sometimes be be a challenging internal process for people because there's a whole sort of negative vibes around self-promotion. And so there there are all of these shifts in identity and changes in, in the way that you grow and see yourself and see the world that I just I wouldn't have anticipated that at all three years ago. You know, like I would just think about the tasks and not about my, my internal growth. Well, yeah, I, I, I think that's uh, those are interesting thoughts and in that, uh, you know, the whole self-promotion concept um, I mean, if you're if you're out there representing your company, representing your brand, and maybe you know, the connotation of saying self promotion doesn't sound good. I don't know, but but basically, you're 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 always marketing, you're always selling and and representing your brand. So you, you've got to do it. And 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 I've worked with with people that um, are starting a business, and whether it's the concern about self promotion, or the or 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 their their thought that they've got a such a great business idea that they don't want to talk it up too much to, because someone is going to to steal it. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're not comfortable uh, getting out there and, and getting the word out. And at some time, you have to make that leap of faith. So. Yeah, it's it, there are so many different types of fears that come up in different forms, and. Being aware of those kinds of thought patterns or limiting mindsets is extremely helpful when you're when you're starting a business. Well, Ivy, we very much appreciate you taking some time uh, to talk with us. If people want to find you and Motivational Millennial out there in the uh, on the interweb somewhere, what uh, where where can they find you? So you can go to motivationalmillennial.com, and Millennial is spelled M I. Double L E, double N I A L. That's not the way I spell it, but I'm glad to know. <laughs> we have all the other addresses, though. So if you type it in wrong, it'll still get there. Um, and also, I'd love to just offer a free gift to your audience. We have a personal transformation guide that's called Motivating Your Millennial Mind. So the the target audience is for millennials, but also I've had people of all generations um, download it and read it. And you can find that at motivationalmillennial.com slash free gift. And what it does is it really breaks down some of the common limiting mindsets that occur in the millennial generation and then gives you a few tools on how to to overcome those and address them. Well, our audience loves free gifts, so we are, we're going to make sure that <laughs> they host too. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and uh, we encourage – Folks, to come over to Catawba Valley Community College on Thursday, April 6th at 11 o'clock. There are no fees, but uh, Ivy LeClaire and her uh, motivational millennial partner, Blake Brandes, will be 
talking to students in our community, and, and we're, we're very much looking forward to having you uh, with us in a few weeks. So thank you very much for spending time with us today, Ivy. Thank Thanks, you. Ivy. Thanks with you. Thank you. Well, we always like to end up with our uh, small business of the month feature. And Gary, what, uh, what small business caught your fancy this month? Well, my small business of the month ties into what I normally do. It's got to do with either children, toys, or food. And I've got a combination. It's a business started by Rose Wang and Laura Desario. And their business is Chirps. Have you heard of Chirps? Chirps. I have not heard of Chirps. Okay. Well, you will after... Uh, and be excited about it in just a few minutes. Chirps allows you to eat what bugs you with their unique cricket flour-based chips. The chips are sustainable and nutritious, but if the idea of eating chips with uh, cricket flour gives you the creeps, consider that 2.5 billion people already eat crickets around the globe. Maybe not in Hickory. Uh, the chips are available in three flavors. Barbecue, which means it was had a hickory flavor to it, uh, sea salt and cheddar. They also offer chocolate chirps, which includes cricket cookie mix. Have I got you excited so far? Um, I'm, I'm interested, <laughs> but yeah, I have a, a... They started their business sort of... after they were uh, studying abroad in Tanzania, and they knew that sustainable uh, source of protein were crickets. I have eaten ants, but in, not crickets. Intentionally? Uh, actually, they made me when I was in Mexico. One okay, time. all right. It tasted okay. Yeah, you know, I, I, ketchup I was told. Okay. I was told when I went to Mexico, don't drink the water or eat the ants. But and that it, is you know, true. Okay. And I didn't drink the water, but I did eat some ants. All right. Uh, and their goal was to get Americans excited about eating bugs. So the question of the day is: Would Ivy and Jeff eat chirps? That is the question. <laughs> I think this is really awesome. I mean, it, it is kind of creepy, but I also think it's really cool because I'm so I'm a vegetarian, and that's the first thing I thought when you started talking about um, cricket flour. I was like, oh wow, that's a really good source of protein. <laughs> You're just like eating chips and feeling sort of healthy. Well, like, <laughs> it, it's cool. kind of it's freaky or whatever. But when they uh, added the flavor of barbecue, sea salt, and cheddar, obviously it probably tastes pretty much like that. And there's just a little bit of cricket juice in there. Well, yeah, well, yeah. Ivy is an open-minded millennial. That's you know, exactly as, right. As far as I'm concerned, you need to get the hell off my lawn, and I'm not eating your crickets. Okay. Well, if you see me on your lawn, it's probably I'm looking for crickets. Okay. Um, so my small business of the month uh, this month. Uh, most of my career was spent in the sock manufacturing business, and every couple of months I work with entrepreneurs over at our Manufacturing Solutions Center in Conover, North Carolina, who are interested in starting their own sock business. So I, I came across an, an interesting article that I'm going to be sharing with some of them on a subscription service that was originally started as the Sock of the Month Club, and it's now just called the Sock Club. But they sell a subscription where sus subscribers receive a cool pair of socks each month in the mail. Costs about $12 per month for a high-end, uh, high-fashion type product. The company was started in 2011 by two friends, Noah Lee and Dane Jensen. And today they're shipping forty to 50,000 pairs of socks each month and have a business with a revenue approaching $4 million each year. But there's a little bit of a twist to their story. Although they initially started to sell directly to consumers, and they still do, uh, they actually uh, found that there's a more stable and lucrative market in the business-to-business -business market. 
so now they're actually selling the majority of their product uh, to uh, custom-made socks to companies which they're giving away to promote their brands. They're working with companies such as Cisco and Salesforce, and and they went to some trade shows, saw all the different giveaways that were out there, but they didn't see any socks. So they pivoted and moved into that category, and now the majority of their sales are, are uh uh, uh, business to business for companies like that. So I just I thought that was just an interesting uh, story of a startup. Sort of started in one direction, but as they got into the marketplace and recognized where there were some needs, they they made some adjustments and um, they're doing very very well. So anyway, uh, the sock club and you can find them and get cool socks if you like at www.sockclub.com, and uh, that's my small business of the month. Very cool. So. Or warm from the stock standpoint. Yeah. And fashionable. Cool. You know, and, and from what I can gather, uh, a lot of those millennials, they like to show off uh, their fashion uh, in, in, in their footwear these days. So, so there you go. <laughs> I, I, I just thought of, of a great small business to highlight, actually, for you guys. I think that could be interesting to some of your listeners. Go for it. So it's called Pop Upsters. Um, and the founder is, is someone I met in San Francisco, Aaron Lander. And it's essentially, uh, he, he is like a, a proxy where he coordinates um, with big events who have, you know, booths, like a farmer's market, essentially. Um, and then he uh, works with vendors who are wanting to sell certain things or even sell their surface services. Um, to get them basically a, a, a reduced entrance rate for participating in that. So he's targeting people who are wanting to start up their business and get in front of people, but it's 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 you know, extremely pricey to to do a brick and mortar anywhere, let alone the Bay Area. But um, so he connects these vendors with different events and sometimes he'll go into like a bigger company like Google and they want to have a big festival or a fair or something. And so what you do is you go to popupsters.com and I know that he just recently said that he was starting to launch more nationally and I'm not exactly sure where they, where they're all based now, but it's uh, popupsters, U P S T E R S.com. And you sign up and become a vendor and basically you just browse different events and then you, you know, you can share a table with other people and it costs you 50 bucks instead of, you know, 500 or something. Yeah. So that's kind of a cool, a cool thing. I, I, I would, uh, especially I would guess in, in your neck of the woods, that's, uh, things can get pretty pricey out there. So that's a pretty good way to get uh, in front of people economically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. So. <laughs> Well, Ivy, we very much uh, appreciate you sharing that and being yes. on the show today, and and uh, we'll look forward to visiting with you in a few weeks. And uh, we want to thank everybody for listening. If you've got a suggestion for the Entrepreneur Exchange Small Business of the Month, you can email them to us at exchange at the mesh TV. Uh, you can check out Ivy at uh, motivationalmillennial.com. We want to thank the Mesh. Uh, you can check out the mesh family of podcasts at the the mesh.tv you can download us there or you can subscribe at itunes on the at the itunes store and uh, we appreciate you listening and we'll look forward to talking with you again next month next month and we'll see how the carolinas do all right march slash april madness go tar heels go gamecocks see ya (laughs) 
You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard. 